you've got to look at the electoral environment around the world. It is contested and more contested than it's ever been before. And I think a lot of that is due to the communications environment, the world of digital and social media, um, and people having platforms, sometimes very private, uh, talking in their own groups and expanding their own little bubbles um, to contest the things that they think should be contested, which on the surface of it, great. You know, freedom of communication, everybody's allowed to have their views. But some of those views are dangerous. Some of those are inadvertently wrong, so misinformation, but some of them are deliberately wrong and for the people's using it for people's own purposes, so disinformation. And those things are having a negative effect um, and it's making it uh, much more of a challenge to uphold the reputation of elections worldwide and we're not immune to that. So that's something that we knew going into 2022. Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome once again to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. Today in the studio, I'm joined by Evan Eakin-Smith, who is the Director of Media and Digital Engagement at the Australian Electoral Commission. During the recently completed 2022 federal election here in Australia, Evan became a familiar face to some. Uh, He and his team were responsible for implementing a media and social media approach that was unique uh, in Australian government communication. During the federal election, some of you may have followed the AEC's Twitter account, which displayed uh, a witty, personable and friendly, yet at times firm tone of voice. During a time of increasingly contested mis- and disinformation, the AEC played a key role in just keeping everything on track. And we're going to be talking to Evan about that today because Yes, personality has been used before, but the AEC perhaps took it a little bit further and really played an important role in keeping, as I say, everything on track as we headed towards the election. Evan was originally a Canberra local and studied at the University of Canberra, uh, but it's a pleasure that he's now joined me in the studio today. So, Evan, welcome to GovComps. G'day, David, and thank you for having me on, and thank you for following what we were doing during the election. <laughs> well, like many, many other people, but listen, we'll come to that, but... Tell us your story. You know, where, where are you from? You're from Canberra originally, but how did you get into the comms business? Yeah, from Canberra. Uh, I was probably like many people coming out of uh, school, year 12, uh, thinking, what am I going to do with my life? And not really having much of an idea. Uh, but you want to do something that you're passionate about, something that's going to be fun. I think you spend, uh, well, I don't know how much it is, but half of your waking time at work. So if you're not doing something that you enjoy, well, you're probably doing it wrong. So I had a look at the field of media and journalism. I thought it looked interesting, that we could do interesting things like having chats to your good self, David. <laughs> and uh, that's a good place to be. So uh, I went into University of Canberra doing... Well, I had a stint in in TAFE first, but went into the University of Canberra doing uh, journalism, had fun doing that. So I've kind of followed that journalism PR path into the public service. And uh, really, I've been with the Australian Electoral Commission almost my entire career. There was a a little gap um, in between university and coming to the AEC, but I joined as a graduate back in 2011. I've been there since, uh, a few different roles, but mainly floating in my area. Um, And really... Elections, as boring as they sound to some people, (laughs) 
they're fun. Um, and getting to know them intimately, not many people know how they actually operate. I'm one of those people now who does. Uh, they're so complex, they're so important, and uh, really we've got a good bunch of people at the AEC through my time as well. So I've enjoyed it, so I haven't seen any reason to leave. So in terms of that journalism um, study that you did, what were some of the skills that you picked up that have been useful in your, your government communications career? Uh, Probably one of the critical ones is getting over what was it, an absolutely crippling fear of public speaking, (laughs) which sounds funny given that I've just spent, you know, a concentrated six-week period doing almost nothing but. Mm. Um, So uh, what I did during my journalism degree, which most journalism uh, studiers will do, uh, is some theory but also some of the practice. So uh, wandering around and and doing interviews for radio and TV and uh, contributing to the school website as it was at the time, uh, getting in studio, playing with the equipment a little bit, um, but but yeah, really just getting that practice uh, to learn how to articulate yourself, to learn how to uncover an issue um, and communicate in a way that is actually going to resonate with an audience. Uh, so I think that's been helpful for me as I've progressed in my career. And do you feel that those, yeah, those journalism skills have been very, very useful when you you've come into a, a big story like elections and then tried to assemble, pick it apart, simplify it and then put it all back together in a way that people can engage with? I think so, yeah. Uh, one of the key things is understanding what the people who you're talking to are after and most of the people that we're engaging with uh, in my role, uh, yes, we engage through social media and there's that audience, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but um, are journalists. Um, so knowing uh potentially, and, I'd, and I've never been a working journalist, so I don't know it intimately, but having some level of groundwork into knowing what they're looking for, uh, what their very busy day <laughs> uh, is potentially throwing up at them, what their priorities are, what their potential level of background knowledge, who, who else they might want to talk to, all those sort of things help when you're picking up the phone or answering an email. So listen, you, you started, as you say, you went into the AEC as a graduate about 10 years ago. And we've just had um, the most recent federal election. What are the biggest changes that you've seen in that time in the work and the role that you play? There's been enormous changes both with the AEC but both with, but with the environment, the communications environment, and specifically the electoral communications environment. Uh, when I first started at the AEC, we, we did not have any social media, for instance. Uh, social media, of course, was around at that time, used very differently to what it is now. Uh, but us as an organisation, we didn't have any accounts. I started the AEC's Twitter account. I remember writing uh, the document to our executive who probably picked it up you know, with a bemused look on their face and thought, do we really want to do this? <laughs> and <laughs> luckily they said yes, because I think it's been a good thing for us. Um, and I'm sure they would have been forced into saying yes sooner or later anyway. <laughs> Um, uh, but the environment has changed enormously uh, and I think about, and, and particularly in the last few years, I mean, you've you got to look at the electoral environment around the world. Um, it is, I wouldn't use the word uh, toxic because it's not toxic. but Contested. It's contested, thank you, that's a better word. Um, it is contested and more contested than it's ever been before and I think a lot of that is due to the communications environment, the world of digital and social media um, and people having platforms, sometimes very private, uh, talking in their own groups and expanding their own little bubbles um, to contest the things that they think should be contested, which on the surface of it, Great, you know, freedom of communication, everybody's allowed to have their views. 
But some of those views are dangerous. Some of those are um, inadvertently um, wrong, so misinformation. But some of them are deliberately wrong and for the people's using it for people's own purposes, so disinformation. And those things are having a negative effect. Um, and it's making it uh, much more of a challenge to uphold the reputation of elections worldwide. And we're not immune to that. So that's something that we knew going into 2022. So take me then through the the planning. When did you start to get ready for this most recent election, and what were some of the conversations that were were taking place in that those very early conversations around not only this challenging context that you you had to address, but how you were going to put together a team and how you were going to deal with the challenges of misinformation and disinformation, but also the challenges of more more broadly, um, keeping people well-informed about what was coming and what, what they were expected to do. If the electoral commissioner was listening, he would love for me to say that we start preparing before the previous election is even finished. And, right. and it's true. <laughs> um, but, but really, in terms of misinformation and disinformation, it, it hasn't just cropped up in the last year before an election. No. It's been around for a little while. It's just been continually changing and will continue to change. But when, sorry, then, sorry to interrupt, but to go back then, when did you, having been around for 10 years, when did you start to see it? Or has it really just followed the adoption of social media? I, th- I think it's um, in terms of it really heightening itself on, in our consciousness. Mm. It was probably between the 2016 and 2019 federal elections. Yeah. And, and at the 2019 federal election, we ran for the first time uh, something that was called a stop and consider campaign. It was a disinformation campaign, alerting voters that hey, it's not something that they didn't know, but hey, uh, not everything that you'll see during the federal election will be true. Um, how about you actually, you know, use these basic tools to, to think about the messages that are coming at you rather than uh, letting potentially wrong information influence how you go about voting. Seems a very simple thing. Uh, it seems an obvious thing to do. Uh, but for the Australian Electoral Commission, who has a, a history and a level of pride associated with this history of almost being the invisible player and never saying anything with any level of controversy whatsoever... Uh, It was a very new and somewhat risky thing for us to do. Uh, We have political players, including the parties and the candidates and people that surround them, um, who don't want the AEC to be seen necessarily. So that was, um, yeah, something that was had a level of risk associated with it. But we obviously saw in that electoral cycle the need for that, and we started adopting our approach in the lead-up to that federal election in 2019 and the necessity to, to, I suppose, turn that dial quite a bit more in between 2019 and 2022 was very evident. So back in 2019, though, how did you decide where you were going to play? Because there's a a spectrum or a scale and there's a tone that you needed to find as well. So again, what were those conversations like and how were you trying to settle into that space as to, okay, 2019, this is where we need to be because of the level of uh, engagement in that context or level of perhaps threat, um, and then trying to find that tone and, and the types of information and the level of activity. How do you, it, it really it absolutely fascinates me as to how you would be making those those choices. Well, we're a little bit more sophisticated about it this election, but I'll, I'll reflect back on 2019 yeah. in a second. But in between um, 2019 and 2022, what we did reasonably early on in the electoral cycle is identify the need to really protect our reputation based on right. our experiences of 2019. So we, we came up with a reputation management framework. 
Um, we've had various iterations of it, probably less sophisticated in the past, but we concentrated on it really hard in between these two cycles. And, and effectively, there was a reputation management strategy which had a set of principles that we wanted all of our communication to adhere to. Um, what were they? Uh, pretty basic things. So yep. six principles. It's up on our website. It says that we, we want to be uh, very open and regular uh, was one of them. It's, it seems obvious, um, but, uh, you know, we fulfilled that through a range of activities, but just being uh, so accessible, probably more accessible than most government agencies uh, have ever been almost, because if you look at the amount of social media traffic, if you asked us a question, we answered it, and we answered it quickly. Uh, we were very accessible to media representatives. So being open and regular was one of them. Um, pitching ourselves as the electoral experts was one of them. And even though we are electoral experts. I mean, we run the process. I think for a long time, the AEC being that silent player and not wanting to be seen, mm. you immediately think of, and people still will, of course, and probably still did during the 2022 federal election, but people think of your Anthony Greens, um, the ABC electoral analyst, and yep. uh, other players like that yep. um, as the foremost electoral experts. But we needed to heighten ourselves in that conversation uh, through our work so that people can refer back to us, can refer back to our communication advice, really so that we can shut down some of that disinformation, but also that so we can have people around us who do it for us, um, do some of that work for us. So pitching ourselves... As and they, were they subject matter experts from inside the AEC or were there academics that you engaged or who 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 carried that story, that, that expertise line of your... Of, of, of your framework? Uh, our staff and primarily our communication staff, but also um, the the experts who are within the organisation actually running the process. So uh, one example of that is probably our work on YouTube, short form video. We started something called AEC TV um, and we didn't get people from outside in to say, hey, these are the experts. We got our people to stand up, sometimes reluctantly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, With that of, crippling fear yeah, of public speaking. Yeah, yeah that, that fear that I was talking about. And yeah, it's probably why you saw me in a few more than I would have liked to have been in, because some people were very reluctant. But we got our experts, our people running the process to stand How up. How important was that? Oh, critical, absolutely critical, um, because these are the people that know it best. And for us to be able to explain it in that medium in very short, uh, because people's attention spans aren't, aren't great these days, in very short form, um, uh, it worked really well for us, um, proactively, but even more so reactively. And we knew the issues that were going to come at us, the questions that were going to happen, because they, they kind of templated from overseas. So we knew all the, the areas where people would try and question electoral integrity, uh, and we had products, be it Schoenfall video, graphics, um, timelines on our website about our integrity journey, things of that nature, to be able to use reactively um, to explain it. And it's it's hard to argue with the person who runs the process who's saying, well, actually, have a look in pictures while I speak at what exactly happens. Um, so we thought that was critical, and that was sort of an idea... Um, I mean, everybody's been making video for a while and content uh, for a long time, uh, but we do it completely in-house. Uh, it's not... Um, we don't have professional videographers uh, roaming the halls of the AEC. Um, I remember in my convincing of the commissioner that we should do this, I just hijacked a meeting room, slapped an AEC TV sign on the side and said, Commissioner, this is what we're going to be doing, what do you reckon? <laughs> and that's how it started. And that was around the time of the 2019 election. So. Um, since then, we've bought a very small amount of kit, done some very basic training, and we think our video products 
are good enough and particularly the content is is good mm. to be able to explain some of those complex issues. Mm. It's cheap, isn't it, the gear? Yeah, oh, absolutely. It, it depends how you want to do it. I mean, you could go almost as expensive or as cheap as you like, but we we haven't spent much money on AEC TV yeah. at all um, and it's really uh, people in my team, me and my colleague yeah. Jess who's sitting behind us and others um, who've been doing this thing and starring in the videos. Mm. Um, so it's a completely in-house, cheap, free and quick um, which is really important because we can produce, if there's an issue running, and we did this during the election, you turn around, you whip up to the studio, you say some lines in front of the camera, you edit it up, you can have it out within the hour. Did you use mobile? Lots on your phones? Because the capability of the latest um, Apple phone, a mate of mine who works with the Queensland Premier was showing me the other day with the 4K and the stabilisers built in. It's frightening, the professional quality that you can now get out of a phone. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, we had a mixture. Um, yep. So we bought some um, still reasonably lower-end cameras, so we weren't spending big dollars. But, um, yeah, a fair bit on the phone and particularly, I mean, we, we bought a basic gimbal as well to do some okay. shots like that. But we're, we're still relatively immature in our approach, though, and we're looking at how do we make AEC TV better from a technical point of view in terms of how do we format it for the right channels and things yep. of that nature and do we need any more kit to um, make that happen. Yep. But it's it's always, well, at least in the short-term future, it's always going to be only ever a semi-professional sure. uh, uh, outfit because we think that's where we get the best uh, results from. Yeah, but that's the, you know, as you say, that's the speed piece. Uh, it's the multi-skilled team members who are able to do um, as well as plan, um, it's it's inexpensive because uh, I think there's a this is a massive transformation that is is taking place, and I'm really pleased to see that the AEC is taking the lead and demonstrating this change doesn't have to come with some ridiculous amount of money. Um, that government really doesn't want to spend. No, that's right. I mean, you just have to have a go, really. Um, I mean, some of the first videos that we did, and I think a couple of them are up on YouTube, you look back at them now and you go, gee, where's the well, lighting on it, that? Well, that, <laughs> well, that, well, that yeah. <laughs> well, that's it. That's yeah. it. But, but the message was right, you know. So the content yeah. was always right and we've just tweaked our approach a little bit and we've learned a little bit along the way. And it also, it's not just for creating that short-form video as well. I mean, the material that we have for our AEC TV studio is the same material that I did countless Zoom interviews uh, with media representatives on as well. Um, so it helps in that regard. Mm. Now, listen, we only got through two of the principles, <laughs> which is, uh, and I would say, ladies and gentlemen, we are. this is going to go, uh, this is a two-part interview because there is a lot to talk about. But I still want to go back to number one because you said this notion of openness but also regularity. So take me through that. Was this planning that editorial calendar so as that you were turning up at the same time, at the same place, so as you were building a habit in the audience? Um, we were... We were so available. We had something like, I think it was about 150,000 tags on social media through that six-week period. If you average that out, that's you know three to four thousand a day. Um, and whenever we, uh, there's some level of content comment that um, doesn't require a response, um, but for the vast majority, you're talking about questions um, and comment that does require a response. And we responded, and we responded quickly. So there's a structure that sits behind that to enable us mm. to do it. Mm. Um, and Media inquiries, um, we were very, very busy. Uh, <laughs> my phone rang hot and I always answered it and I always got back to people and it was swift. Um, 
and I shouldn't say I because my colleagues were involved in yeah. that as well, but we, we, were, we were very swift. Um, and I think something that really benefited us on the media side was relationships with media and they got to know that we were swift and that we were open and our media briefings, which was a series of, uh, and we've done this in the past, but to a lesser degree, but we reached out to uh, media organisations in every state and territory, individual organisations, and offered them a, uh, a, a media briefing with the electoral commissioner, myself, and the relevant state manager. Originally, it was gonna be in person. COVID scuppered that a little bit, and most of them were, were via uh, Zoom or Teams. Um, but, you know, we were talking to Channel 7 in Darwin individually and taking a 45-minute slot to, to talk to them. We did, I don't know the number, but it was more than 50 individual media briefings, myself, the Commissioner and the relevant State Manager, uh, to sit down um, and only talk a little bit. Uh, it was more about what do they want to know on the eve of the election. I think that built really good relationships for us and we got a lot of follow-up off that. Um, we were able to outreach to journalists when we knew there were things happening in their jurisdictions because we'd talked to them before. Um, so I think that, that sort of stuff really worked very, very well for us. Mm. Trust really sits at the heart of really the, the effort um, and this responsiveness. I think a lot of people listening um, would be thinking, oh, if only I had an authorising environment that allowed me to move um, as quickly as swiftly and not to sort of say hang on, there's a process between me sort of moving to the studio quickly to to engage. How have you been able to get that? Obviously, you've been there for 10 years, but you can build trust. But And how do you advise people to build trust with the, with the higher-ups so is that the dreaded approval processes can, can be faster to meet the needs of the new world, which is immediate, it's fast, it's got to get there? How, how, how do you do that? Yeah, there's a, there's a few things where we have a natural advantage. One is that we're an independent statutory authority and that, that goes on steroids during an election event, obviously. I mean, we have a minister that we report to during an election event. It's a very different environment. Yeah. Um, we're also a smaller organisation than a lot of public service departments, so that is helpful, of course. Um, but it's still hard to cultivate. Um, yes, I've been there 10 years. Um, so is the current electoral commissioner and we have a very close relation, working relationship deliberately so, uh, not just because we think each other is a good bloke, uh, which, you know, we get on well, uh, yep. that's a good thing, but because we knew that there needed to be a good connection between myself and the Commissioner in order to have him trust what me and my section are doing, uh, but also um, for me and my section to be connected to the issues, to be connected to operationally what's going on, um, and to be able to regularly discuss things without going through... Um, unnecessary layers of approval or consultation. Consultation is incredibly important and you don't want to skip it out and there's, there's times where you need your tentacles in all areas of the organisation to get the information that you need. But to be able to have that regular liaison with the Electoral Commission... Uh, electoral Throughout commission, the... Uh, yeah. yeah. But, well, not only the Commissioner but I'm sure the other... Other senior members of the executive, executive team, absolutely. Yep. Um, it, it's critical. Um, uh, to but you've got to do it earlier rather than at the point of need. Yeah, you can't do it on the doorstop. Yeah, um, you would never have the the trust, the connection that's required. So, and, and the other thing is to set up layers of, I suppose, structure that sit below it. Not not to slow it down, but structure deliberately designed to enable it. Yeah. Um, so underneath that reputation management strategy that I was talking about, yeah, there are a number of um, documents. One was a stakeholder engagement plan, but 
in my area, uh, media and digital engagement plan, and that outlined how our social media operation was going to handle the volume and also work yep. with approvals for sensitive content. Yep. Um, and it outlined how our media approach would work as well. And I think having that document uh, and having it outlined very, very well was yep. critical in enabling the full ele executive leadership team to understand how we'd go about it um, and be comfortable with that. Yeah. How important do you think it is that you were fast? Yeah, probably one of the most important things because um, it allowed us to control the narrative uh, more so than if we were slow. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a very obvious, easy thing to say, but um, reactively, and we did a lot proactively to cut off known issues, but reactively, if we were to sit on an issue uh, for an hour, <laughs> and that sounds like a very short period of time, um, it could get away from you and it could spread and by the time you put your words into it, there's other more prominent words who people are believing and they're not seeing what you're saying. Um, so uh, the ability for us to be quick on particularly sensitive issues and for there to be that level of connection and trust between my section and me and the executive leadership team, it allowed me to uh, know how we needed to respond and to do it with some authority very swiftly. Was there any times during the election campaign that you felt it's this is getting away from us, like it was an accelerated game of whack-a-mole <laughs> that you weren't quite, you know, dealing with them as quickly or were you, did you feel like you were in control? Because certainly from an observer's point of view, I felt great confidence and trust that the AEC was sort of managing, you know, the, the issues quite well, you know, particularly after you, you've observed the chaos of, you know, uh, elections in other places. Yeah, and there has been a level of um, reputational damage in other areas of the world um, with elections that we were very conscious of. It, I felt like we were in pretty good control most of the time in terms of what we were talking about, almost probably all the time, really. And, and it's because we had people on our channels and we had those layers of connection to the executive, we had the good body of planning behind us, we had the good body of products sitting there, the ability to create products in real time, that um, I felt like our knowledge held us in really good stead to be able to effectively prioritise. So even when, and, and the last week of the election is the biggest week for us, if you look at any graph of our media inquiries, social media interactions, whatever it is, there's spikes everywhere. Yeah. Um, so even in that last week, um, I felt like even if we were a touch slower than we'd been during the, the rest of the election period in terms of a volume point of view, uh, in terms of criticality, anything that was critical, we were still as swift, as open and as regular as we had been through the entire event, which allowed us to maintain that level of control. So there you have it, the end of the first part of our conversation with Evan Eakin-Smith, who is the Director of Media and Digital Engagement at the Australian Electoral Commission. And what a fascinating conversation. The first two principles of six principles. So in part two, we are going to explore the other four principles that the Australian Electoral Commission used to manage communication and engagement during the recent federal election here in Australia. So it's a great conversation. I'm sure you enjoyed that first part one. Now, listen. There is a great conference on in Brisbane 
on October the 20th and 21st of this year, 2022. It's called Change 22, uh, 2022, and it's brought to you by Griffith University. And it's a conference that brings together people who are focused on achieving measurable change that benefit people, communities, and the planet. There's going to be a great lineup of speakers, over 20 of them, with uh, a number of TED style talks. There are some interactive workshops, and it is going to be held in person at Griffith University in Brisbane. So, and it really is focused on behavior change. And there is no more topical issue in government communications than behavior change. So, change 2022, go and visit griffith.edu.au forward slash change. So that's G-R-I-F-F-I-T-H dot E-D-U dot A-U forward slash change. It's a program put together by Sharon Rundle-Teal. It's a fantastic list of program. Uh, and now please go and uh, have a look to at, at that uh, link so you can find more information and tickets for that event. Very reasonably priced for two days. I wouldn't miss it. I'm going to be there. That's change 2022. So again, thanks to all of you for coming back once again. Uh, Thanks to also the great production team here at Content Group who do such a wonderful job in not only finding the wonderful guests, but also putting the program together. So a big thanks to Olivia Casamento and to Ben Curry for making this program what they've done over many, many years. So a big thanks to them. Uh, I'll be back at the same time in two weeks. But for the moment, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.